Hey, this is Landon. Before we start the show, I wanted to tell you about this cable I've been using to capture air traffic control and intercom audio on my in-flight videos. Now, this cable directly connects into your aircraft audio panel where you plug in your headset, and a wire connects to your camera. So not only will you be able to capture your radio transmissions between you and air traffic control, but also both communications between other aircraft occupants. Just visit stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash audio cable for more information. Now let's start the show. The following aviation podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by thepilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 43, Stuffy Noses, Flying the Airbus A320, Top Gun 3D, and more coming up now on this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Hello and welcome back to this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast, episode number 43. I'm your host, Len Costa, and joining me on the show today are my favorite group of aviation hooligans. Starting uh-huh. first with our uh, our hooligan who's been gone for a little while. We've heard a lot about what's been going on in your life. Carl, welcome back. Carl Valeri. Hey, thanks. It's wonderful to be back and have my life back. I get to enjoy flying again and uh, not just studying all day. So it's it's just absolutely terrific to be back doing this and talking to my friends about aviation. That's right. And you've been studying for a lot of things, which we're actually going to talk about in the show, so we won't spend a lot of time uh, right now. Um, but uh, I think a lot of people did see recently that you just did get that type rating on the Airbus 320. So first and foremost, congratulations on that achievement. Yay. Thanks. Yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about that after uh, after the announcements. But uh, yeah, once again, congratulations. So Thanks. Um, our next aviation hooligan, Sean Moody, joining us all the way from Kentucky. How are you, Sean? Hey, Len, doing great. Uh, just uh, sitting here enjoying what's hopefully going to be a not-too-snowy evening. It's hopefully going to stick north of us and uh, hoping we dodge most of that white stuff. So is that why you're podcasting with a blanket over your head? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you can never be too careful, you know. <laughs> Make sure you keep that warmth. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, welcome, welcome. <laughs> and uh, our final uh, aviation hooligan, Rick Felty, coming all the way from Massachusetts. Welcome. Hello, everyone. Yes, we are here in the Northeast getting ready for yet another snowstorm, but we love it. Did you <laughs> did you get, uh, you know, enough time to unbury yourself from three feet for, was it two weeks ago or so? Yeah, the, it was nice. That was a, that was a intense cleanup. Last weekend was, was not as bad. Sure. There was, no, not, you know, not too bad. And, and this one's sort of going to be in the middle of those two, I think. We'll mm-hmm. see. Depends on where you are. Well, I got a, a picture from my mother uh, of my father in the driveway snow blowing, and the uh, the snow is up to his shoulders <laughs> at the edge of the driveway where the plow had gone by. So, yeah, yeah no, uh, exactly. It it was that was a good one. <laughs> yeah, it certainly in was. One storm that was a good one. I yeah. don't think I don't think I think I saw the number for Chicago for the historic number of a single storm, and I think it was it, it was the same as that. Meaning, you know, it's all that was a lot of snow yeah. for a city, and uh, they you know did fairly well. 
it depends on where you live and how much you want to gripe about it. But <laughs> anyway, it's but you know we love it. It's great. It's it's fun. Well, speaking of Chicago, I've spent a lot of time, you know, working in and out of here over the winter, and uh, that's me knocking on wood. We haven't had like but a dusting, you know. I haven't. I don't think we've had more than maybe three or four inches at a time so far. So I'm kind of still waiting, you know, because it's yeah. it's mid-February here when we're recording this episode, but I'm still waiting for that yeah. major storm to surprise us and get, you know, get dumped on here. But I used to work, you know, I used to work in Chicago. I worked at WGN and um, I worked with, off and on in different ways with Tom Skilling, the weather guy. Right, that he, right. Made, And he's great. And he actually, just a side note, but appropriate to this show, I just posted a link to a story he did recently about de-icing that was just... You know, he got to ride around the, in the, you know, run the de-icing truck a little bit and talk about what those people do. And, you know, it, it was cool. It was a cool story. So I will, I'll relink that after this show comes up. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I it was actually, really cool. I just saw his cool. face, uh, I think it was this morning on the billboard. Um, actually, it was, I was driving through the city this morning and I saw his face and it's like, Tom Skilling, that name's familiar. And now I remember why. Yeah. He's, um, you know, he's been there forever and, and an institution and, and he's, he's very good at what he does. Mm -hmm. Started, I think, just north of there in, you know, like in Wisconsin somewhere with way back when in early in his career, he was known for uh, doing the weather with uh, puppets, hand puppets. <laughs> he had some silly thing going on there. But, uh, but at GN, he's become, he's the Chicago, you know, he's the guy you go to. So he's the guy. Keep your eye on him. Yeah. He's, he's a cool dude. I'll have to introduce you sometime. Sweet. Yeah. That'd be yeah. great. That would be great. Um, well, wonderful. So welcome everybody to the show. Again, it's good to have Carl back. We know he's been busy and we look forward to hearing about the uh, story and uh, the adventure in learning to fly the Airbus A320. Let's do the pre-flight. We interrupt the show briefly to uh, insert this announcement that I actually forgot to mention until the end of the show. And that is that I, uh, co-host Len Costa, is going to be in the Melbourne, Australia area from roughly uh, March 16th to about March 28th of 2013. I would really love to hear from or get in touch with any of our listeners or friends down in the Australia area um, that may be available for a get-together or in our travels and be able to you know, sit down and grab a beer or something. Get in touch with me on Twitter, at Len Costa, and let me know where you are and who you are, and uh, hopefully we can get together. And now back to the show. Well, we might as well start with Mr. Carl, since we haven't heard from him in a while. Carl, tell us about your announcement. It's actually coming right up here uh, in about a week from uh, when the show's released. Yes, actually, it's coming out uh, March 9th and 10th. There's this great uh, thing called Air Fiesta. It's Air Fiesta 2013 from the commemorative excuse me, Air Force in the Rio Grande Valley. It's in an airport called Brownsville Airport or Brownsville South Padre Island Airport. That's down in South Texas. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because at this show, you're going to see the new and refurbished and ready to rock and roll commemorative Air Force B-25 Devil Dog. And uh, they've been up and flying that just recently, and that'll be down there. And they're going to be put on a really cool show as far as having a lot of different Japanese zeros and uh, some really neat Japanese and American aircraft. And again, that's a commemorative Air Force Rio Grande Valley wing. They're putting on the 50 years and counting uh, Air Fiesta. So this is 50 years of Air Fiesta. It's easy to find at airfiesta.org. And it's a really cool show. I'd, I'd really suggest you're trying to get down there. It's uh, pretty far down. You can jump on some uh, airliners or, you know, take a nice little flight down the coast. It's a really pretty flight to go all the way down the coast of Texas to get, go check this out. So I really highly rec recommend the airfiesta.org, March 9th and 10th. Arriba! Arriba! 
<laughs> the Air Fiesta, fantastic. I, I remember going down to Brownsville, uh, but I never saw no Air Fiesta, but that's okay. They have a museum there, too, a uh, uh, World War II history museum. At the airport? Mm-hmm, yeah. I should pay more attention. Yeah, you should check it out. Yeah. Is that where uh, is that where Fifi's based out of? I know she just started flying mm, again. No, I think. Is okay. That, I don't think so. Is that Addison? I could be wrong. Yeah. yeah, that's out west, I think, somewhere. Okay. I will try to look that up while you're mm. talking. Uh, great. Uh, Sean, your announcement. Yep. Uh, mine is the uh, Air Force Museum Real Stuff Film Festival of Aviation. Um, it's coming up on April 11th through 14th. That's at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. Um, and it's going to be a, a whole weekend of aviation movies. They're going to be playing on a, uh, on an, I believe it's an IMAX screen there. So it's uh, good stuff. They're going to have um, the Restorers, First in Flight, Bob Hoover Project. They're going to have Wings. Um, and one of the sort of headlining things is going to be Top Gun in 3D. You know, they had that limited release a few weeks back. They're going to show it again at the Air Force Museum, and it's going to be presented by Clay Lacey, who is the aerial cinematographer. So um, if you get a chance to go check that out, it should be great. Um, you can get information on the Air Force Museum webpage. And, you know, if you've never been to the Air Force Museum, even when the film festival is not going on, it's still a great place to see all the uh, – you know, the evolution of Air Force uh, airplanes and, and that kind of thing from, you know, the very beginning up to now. It's, uh, if you ever get a chance to check it out, it's a pretty amazing place. And I believe admission's free to the museum, so you can't go wrong. Uh, speaking of which, oh. we did talk about this off the air. None of, uh, none of us besides you, Sean, actually did get to see Top Gun in 3D. Uh, give us your 30-second pitch. What'd you think? Oh, I loved it. I loved it. I mean, you know, I, I loved it back when I had it on VHS, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, it. we love the movie, but I sure, uh, sure, in sure. 3D, what did you think of, uh, I mean, what what stood out to you, I guess, literally and figuratively, uh, you know, to the, the the reproduction of it? Right. It, it looked like it was made in 3D. It didn't look like a cheap sort of transfer or anything, um, you know, from the in-cockpit shots, you know, you, you could see the separation, you know, the depth of the, you know, the plexiglass bubble or, you know, the pilot's. Um, the exterior shots, you know, of, of the simulated dog fighting, everything just popped really nicely. And not only the video, but, uh, you know, the, the sound effects as well, you know, F-14s roaring past, um, you know, inside the cockpit, that ambient, uh, sound, it all was just so powerful, but not over the top, not over modulated. It was just perfectly tuned to, to sound like you were really there. It was, it was really fantastic. Where did you see this now and where can um, you see it? I had to go. It, it's out of theaters now. It was in for six days, I think, and it wasn't near me. I live in uh, Lexington, which is in the center of Kentucky. I had to drive up to the Cincinnati area to uh, Newport. That's where they had the IMAX showing there. They all were also playing it over in Louisville. Um, but uh, you know, I would have driven. I would have driven further. <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah, I wish I had gotten a chance to see it. I know a couple of a uh, couple of other people, uh, the other friends, were able to 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 get a sneak peek, but I. I was not, but, you know, such is life. But that's pretty cool. So, excuse me, I had to clear my throat. I'm recovering here from a sinus infection. I know Carl's been sick. Rick was sick last week. Sean was sick the week before. It's, I don't know what's, maybe it's the podcasting funk, but. Uh, <laughs> the microphones. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's what you get when you share microphones. Boys and girls, be careful. Always sanitize. <laughs> now entering cruise flight. 
yeah, we wanted to uh, you know hear a little bit about your. I mean, we know that you've um, left the uh, regional airline that you were previously working at. And you're now at a major airline, uh, Carl. You've been over the last couple of months learning to fly the Airbus uh, A320, and with that, uh, you know, you had to your check ride was a was a type rating in this new aircraft. So we. We kind of, you know, now that things have calmed down and you've got some room to breathe here, we'd like uh, like to hear about how all that's gone, you know, what the process is like. I know some things we want to talk about, the, uh, you know, the paperwork side of it, which I, you know, I've got some stuff to talk about in relation to that. But, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, give us give us a story. Give us a start. Well, I got, you know, it's funny, Len, the, the type rating uh, is, is, by the time you're finished with it, it's... After you're done, I think this happens on every rating. You kind of feel bummed out the next day. <laughs> you know, it's it, it, it's like finishing a marathon. It, it's like finishing. And I remember after my commercial rating, my single engine commercial, I remember feeling the same feeling that I put all this effort into it, and then I look at this little piece of paper and I say, "Is that it? I did all that and and this effort for just this." And you know, there's more to it than that. But that's just the feeling you get. You know, when you, you finally accomplish something that you've worked really hard to get. Uh, but anybody that that wants to get a type rating, there, there's many ways to do it. As a matter of fact, the place that I went to to get my type rating, uh, they, uh, they use that facility to contract out to many different airlines and private individuals uh, so that they can go and actually get the type rating in the Airbus. Right. And, you know, the, but first of all, why is it that we need a type rating. I guess maybe I'll talk about that real quickly uh, before I go into the airplane. It, first of all, you, you really it's, it goes back to sixty one thirty one. It's you know the type rating requirements and additional authorizations. Anytime you have a turbojet powered aircraft, which this is, you're going to have to get a type rating. Anytime you have a large aircraft, uh, except obviously the lighter than air, uh, it's, you're going to need a type rating. Large aircraft meaning anything over, over 12,500 pounds. And, and also, and this is something that people don't realize, there are certain aircrafts out there that you need a type rating for that the administrator deems necessary to have a type rating for that aircraft. It's just that complex. Uh, but the, the process of going through a type rating is, you know, it really is, is varied. It's different from Every different operator, I know that I've been through uh, different operators like flight safety where you, you feel like you're, you're the customer and, and they're trying everything to get you through. And then you go through certain airline type ratings. I've done a few of those and those are sometimes like, hey, you better get this right or your job's on the line. <laughs> this, and, and that really puts a lot of pressure on people. That, and, and, and what's interesting is that it's done in such a, a short amount of time. And there's so much pressure to get it done, and you're sitting there thinking, "Oh my God, I've got to pass this." You know, it's fail or fire, and uh, I, you know, that's that's one of those things that is really uh, it stresses a lot of people out. And what happens? Most people get sick halfway through training. Luckily, I actually waited to the end of training to get sick. But but the type rating itself, the the process is actually just like any other training process. You start out with some ground school, you start learning the systems. And you start memorizing things. And then you go from there and you start looking at procedures. You start doing things not in the airplane, but you chair fly. Uh, we call it the paper tiger where we have mock-ups as the actual cockpit where we sit there and we actually go through all our procedures for starting, for stopping the aircraft, our taxi procedures. Because you are, you're flying something that's a lot more complex. And there's, there's you know, if you've ever seen the, the picture of the inside of a cockpit of, 
a, a jet airliner, any jet airliner, there's lots of switches and buttons. Well, you, you need to know what all those do, and you have to know when to push the bu- right button and when not to. You know, it's like I, I love that. Uh, what was that 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 cartoon where they show the Airbus and then they show the Boeing, and the Airbus says, you know, push to fly, you know, push to land. <laughs> there's, there's there's a little bit more to it than just that. Not, so again, not much, though. <laughs> no. Gosh. I, you know, I, I wish that, actually. It's, it's funny because one of the things that, that you find with a highly automated aircraft like the Airbus, the A320, I just got my type rating in, is the fact that a lot of people want the airplane to do everything, which in reality, you, what you're doing is you're setting the airplane up to do what it needs to do, and you're, you're doing some very active monitoring of that aircraft. You don't actually physically fly it quite as much. As a matter of fact, in the Airbus and uh, almost all Airbuses, you you kind of when you're flying, if you actually physically have your hands on the controls, you're kind of spread eagle. Uh, if you put your arms to the right and and you have basically a joystick, and to the left are the the thrust levers, and you you in the middle is a tray table, and you you're not like the old thrust lever, you know, to the left and you stick right here. You're in the middle. You're actually spread eagle and. You're not doing that that often. You're only doing that when you're landing. You're managing a panel that's telling the aircraft where to go. But anyway, getting back to actually the process of, of going through a type rating, and this is typical with, with just about any type you get. So you go through the paper tigers, the procedures trainer, and then a lot of times you go through what's called a flight training device. And, you know, we've seen those uh, when we've all used them. They're basically like a big PC, a, a personal computer or, or a, you know, any type of Mac, I should say. And it, it acts just like the airplane, but not exactly. And then once you graduate from finishing up your your you know all your procedures and all your call outs and and doing everything correctly in the flight training device then you move on to the simulator now why is it that they do this why do they go from the the paper to this flight training device to the simulator well a lot of it has to also do with cost the simulator uh, you can get your type this is interesting you can get your type rating and you can go out and fly with passengers after you're done with the simulator and have never landed that airplane, you'll air, you will actually land that airplane the first time when you're with passengers on board. Now, to find out what happens with Carl... Hang on a second. My, I need to change some reservations. I'll be right back. <laughs> so if you're, well, that's, if the, you're, that's the way it was for if, me, too. I never oh, touched yeah. a real airplane until it was paying passengers in the back seat. It, it's crazy. Actually, this will be the first time I've done this. Uh, we're actually the first time I actually flew the plane uh, was with paying passengers. And the you know years past, you actually went up and flew the plane empty and went around the pattern a few times. Well, that gets a little bit costly. And these simulators are so realistic. Uh, but Len, were you nervous when that happened? Because uh, well, yeah, for all kinds of reasons. Uh, one, <laughs> I had you know it was my first jet. Two, there was fifty people sitting behind me. Uh, Three, what was that third thing I was thinking? Oh, it was my first time being in an airplane where everything you say and do is recorded. You know, so all these things are, you know, going on in my mind. Like every every time I speak, somebody's somebody can hear me if, you know, they listen to the cockpit voice recorder. So I was I was a little paranoid at first. <laughs> and you know, I'm I'm I guess, you know, it's funny, I'm not overly nervous about it. Uh because, you know, I, I kinda I took to this airplane more than I thought I would. I didn't honestly I didn't think I'd like it uh at first. Uh, because it was so highly automated. But you basically coax it along, but you can take over uh, and start flying it yourself. 
but uh, let's see. What's today? This podcast doesn't come out till the 1st. Is that right? Yeah. Of March? Yeah. Okay. Well, my first landing in the actual airplane doesn't happen for three more days with passengers on board. So I, I guess by then, in the next episode, we will we will find out if Carl successfully landed. <laughs> Carl, well, it, it'll, I'm sure it'll be successful. It just might not be pretty. It's so pretty. Because <laughs> if it's not successful, we probably won't hear about it in the next episode. Well, and obviously, this is how they train a lot of people. Right. So right. it works. It's just. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it yeah, does work. Doesn't say it doesn't change the fact that for you, Carl, it's your first time. Yes. You know, yes. In that moment. You know. I don't, and honestly, you don't really think about it. You just uh, you're concentrating so much on what you're doing, uh, and you know I, I over dramatize it. You know, it's 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 really it's not that big of a deal. Uh, and you're up there all alone. The door's closed. If you make a good landing, you open the door. If you don't, you leave the door closed. Uh, you know that type of thing. So you know, <laughs> your head low. You hear that, ladies and gentlemen? That's why the cockpit door is not always open when open you're deplaning. <laughs> See, for fun, I think you should announce when it's the first officer's very first landing with paying pass. Uh, see what the reaction is. That actually is one of those things that they don't do. And I think it's a smart thing. They'll, they announce it afterwards. Yeah, after, them. after. Yeah. So if any, no, I shouldn't say this. How no, about that crazy. landing, ladies and gentlemen? It was it was Junior's first. <laughs> first time I ever landed an airplane. Uh, but anyway, you know, getting back to the simulators, do you, you realize these simulators are super expensive. Um, you know, I was talking about the flight training devices and then the simulators. Those, uh, the simulators that, that they had at this center, they were telling me, were about $33 million each. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's quite expensive. And to run those, they're on hydraulic lifts and they, they simulate actual movement of the aircraft. You really do get a great feeling for that, that airplane when, when you're flying it. But, uh, but so that the process, this is the same in any typewriting. You go through uh, the same thing, ground school, fly the plane, get your procedures down uh, in a uh, flight training device, then you jump in the simulator. Uh, the one thing that's different in certain programs is they have it set up with the FAA approval to have a a program that either specifically tells you that you have to you pass a check ride or you can pass through basically training gates. In other words, like quizzes along the way. So instead of you remember when you went out for your private pilot certificate and you that's it you had that check ride your oral exam and then the check ride. Well. A lot of programs aren't like that anymore. And just like Len had just uh, gone through, it's, it's called Advanced Qualification Program, where you start going from point A to point B, from not knowing anything about the airplane to having a type rating, by going through these different training gates. For instance, you, you've learned the systems, you have a quiz on the systems, then you move on. And when you finally get your type rating, it could have been many different quizzes over a two-week period or a three-week period. And that way, you know, you're you're stepping, ramping it up, and you don't have that really nerve-wracking. Oh my God, you know, this is it. You know, I have to do these maneuvers correctly, or else, you know, I'm done. Well, it doesn't work that way. If you don't do it correct, you you just retrain and you you make sure you do it properly. Yeah, train to proficiency. Um, train to proficiency, exactly. Um, one neat thing about uh, just to talk a little bit about the Airbus, uh, some of the cool things about the airplane that I liked when I first uh, went through training. Number one. The in normal operations, this aircraft will not let you stall the aircraft. It actually will take over with adding thrust, or it will actually reduce the pitch depending on on what mode of flight you're in. What's interesting is you know we talk about uh, ground proximity warnings in the aircraft where it it can look ahead and see if you're going to 
hit a building or hit a mountain. And normally what you do is you, when you're, when the warning comes up and tells you, watch out, there's terrain ahead, you start pulling up and you have to watch your pitch. Well, that doesn't happen in the Airbus. When you have something in front of you and you want to pitch up, you don't even think about it. You just pull the stick all the way back. It's so counterintuitive from a normal, really a regular airplane, you keep pulling up, as I say, you know, make the houses get small, you pull up, want to get them, make them bigger, you pull up even more and you'll stall. Well, this thing won't let you stall. And that's actually in the normal, you know, modes of flight. It won't let you do that. And I, I thought that was just the coolest thing when I first thought it. It was really freaky when I actually pulled the stick all the way back and then after a little while when it lost energy because it keeps its energy state in mind, all of a sudden it starts pitching forward. And it's pitching forward and I'm pulling back on the stick. So that was that was kind of – that was definitely different. And, and you know what's interesting is that the first thing that went through my mind – this is going to sound weird, I know – is is my Prius. You know, I have one of those – you know, Toyota Priuses, and it has that anti-skid, and, you know, the when I'm in the snow, I put my foot all the way down on the gas, and if it starts slipping, it takes power away, and then it starts gradually bringing power back in. It's kind of like that on the Airbus. You know, it actually will, will stop you from doing stupid things, which I kind of like. <laughs> did you just liken an airliner to your car? Yes, I did. I just, I just did that. I was like, God, did I go there? <laughs> So the Airbus okay. is just like the okay. Prius. Right, right. <laughs> Something I'm sure Airbus Industries was was looking for in their marketing. <laughs> but, but if you, th- that, if you better think that about it, no, it is somewhat simple. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Remember those? Those are horrible. But, but fat, the one thing that's really fascinating is all the different computers that are inside that airplane that actually control everything. For instance, flight controls I was just talking about. There are seven different computers that that actually will – control the flight controls, how much they're deflected, but also monitor the actual energy state of the aircraft. It'll give you like spiral stability. It'll give you all sorts of stability and try to keep that airplane in 1G mode. So it's actually a smoother ride for the passengers. And the other neat thing is that if you lose one of those computers, the other computers will will pitch in and start you know, figuring out what to do with the flight controls. And you can lose a certain amount of flight controls and they'll still be able to fly. So you could lose, say, one of your elevator control computers and the other ones will kick in and possibly use those other elevators, you know, to to get the same type of of feel and movement. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you can lose all of the flight control computers. There's seven of them and still be able to fly the plane, which a lot of people think that's not possible, but it is. Uh, but one thing is, it is fly-by-wire, uh, so you do need electricity to to keep this thing moving. And of course, they have batteries, and not lithium-ion. And they have uh, they have a, a a Ram air turbine that pops out of the side, and this turbine actually produces electricity. Right. It uses hydraulics to turn a generator that actually produces electricity. Uh, so you still have electricity, but really, you can you can control. If you lose every single computer, which hasn't happened yet, you can still control, say, your turn by using your rudder and your pitch by using pitch trim. And uh, and actually goes back to the horizontal stabilizer unit and actually will, will command it to move up and down. Really what you're doing is you're trying to get some of those computers back on while you're doing that because it's very difficult to land. Carl, yeah, I have a question because I, I think one of the things that – one of the only things that scares me about Airbus is all the computers because what if – 
what if Hal decides to have a bad day and revolt against you? And or, you know, the the theory that the autopilot's on even when it's not. And the reason I say that is because you're moving a stick and you're telling the computer what to do and it's going to decide how to do it, how fast to do it, and whether it agrees with what you're telling it to do. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I'm sort of dumbing it down. You sort of, when I, I'm making a bad reference when I say I'm dumbing it down, but didn't you have to like learn like the three laws of robotics before you could fly this airplane? <laughs> uh, well, actually, you have to hit know how to hit the uh, autopilot button. That's about it. Yeah. Uh, but no, <laughs> seriously, it's really what you're saying is true. You have to think ahead of the airplane. You know what I liken it to? It it's just like driving your car and in cruise control from the minute you leave your garage. You actually have to command it to do things, and then the computer will actually do that. If you don't command it properly, it won't do what you tell it to do. But now let's get back to the away from the automation because you know it has auto thrust, it has autopilot. Say you turn all that off, okay? And I think this is what you're getting at, Len. Even if you turn all that automation off, there is a computer between you exactly. and the flight controls, right. and it won't allow you to do certain things, which – in certain phases of flight, that is good, okay? But, for instance, uh, the crash at the air show, you know, that they had many, many years ago. Right, that's the one somebody, I was going to reference. Right, right. And they, they didn't realize that. And, and there's, you have to know when to turn certain automation off and when to go to manual mode. And it will allow you to override that. Unfortunately, uh, they they didn't do that. And when they did finally do that, they took it out of the automation and into the manual mode. It was a little bit too late. If you, if from that, that incident or that crash, I should say, uh, you heard the engines start to spool up. But as they were spooling up, when they realized what they did, they were ingesting trees. Right. And that was a little bit late. So that was one of the things. And they changed a few things about the, they call them laws or, uh, you know, it's all computer programs. They changed some of the logic there uh, just a little bit as far as what it does closer to the ground. Um, but but you can still manually override most things that are going to get yourself into trouble. The other thing, too, is if you lose some of those computers, you're you're flying like a regular airplane. You can still stall this thing. You know, and we've seen that with Air France. Right. Yeah, you, know, you really can. Well, and that that Airbus crash that you were referencing, for those who are unfamiliar, was that an uh, was that an air show? And uh, uh, let's see, it was flying over Mulhouse Habesheim. I can't even don't even know if I pronounced that correctly. Um, and they were doing a, a low pass flyby. They had the gear down and the flaps out, and they were doing a low pass flyby demonstration at the air show. And when it came time to climb out and go around and they added full thrust, the computer says, you've got gear down and flaps. Why in the heck do you want full thrust? You're in landing configuration. I'm not giving it to you. And basically, that's why, in that instance, the engines didn't spool up when they requested it. And uh, so that's why I say, you know, I, I, I'm not knocking Airbus. It's just there's parts of it that from an outsider I don't understand that kind of scares me, you know, with the computer's and all that stuff. So it's cool hearing, you know, what your ex experience is transitioning from the Embraer to the Airbus and how you can relate that to us. 
Yeah, and not to to scare people listening to this, that that's an instance that can't happen again. You know that that they finally learned from that instance and said, okay, we first re, you know did some programming, changed some programming, but also learned that that the, this this demonstration didn't go as planned because this demonstration was done closer to the ground, which normally right. you do that demo a little bit higher up there. We're really demonstrating that it wouldn't stall. You know that was one of the biggest things, and it won't stall in in, in a normal law configuration, but unfortunately. Uh, they did change a few other things as far as the logic towards the ground or close to the ground. Sure. So. And, and so now, you know, going back to that automation, uh, have they had instances uh, where things have, have happened? Sure, but nothing that has caused it to to actually crash because of the automation. It's more so been the pilot's input. So, you know, we start saying, gee, this is an airplane that can, can keep you out of trouble. But, it, you know, it's an airplane. And you can get yourself into trouble just like any other airplane. Uh, it's the automation between you and the flight controls uh, it is there, and you have to understand how to manage that that uh, automation. Uh, a good example, I'll give you a great example, is that as you're landing this airplane, you, you know, the, the, the stick actually controls left and right. It controls roll rate, okay? Not deflection of flight controls, roll rate. So when you're landing you have to use the crab and decrab method uh, because when you get below 50 feet above the ground, the computer actually changes the way that the flight controls are used and deflects the, con- the flight controls on the wings differently. You know, the hydraulics are, are, are all the way out there on the wing. They're not connected physically. So when you get below 50 feet, it acts more like a regular airplane where you push the rudder and you put the ailerons into the wind, hmm. and it gives that that little bit of a feeling, as far as or it actually acts differently closer to the ground. And it's programmed to to run its computers differently. It's and and that's something that that you really have to understand the systems to understand that that that's why it does that and that's how it does that. Um, but it, it really it's I I love the automation. I absolutely love the I I, was, I really didn't think I'd like it this much, but I love the stability of it. Um, I can actually, I got to the point where you can just fly the plane with two fingers. It's like flying a helicopter. You know, it's, it's just called a side stick and you just move it and it recenters itself and you can put it into a bank and it'll just hold that and you can let go and it'll do a 360 degree turn without you touching the airplane and it'll keep it there. It's fascinating. Since you brought up the automation, one of the questions I've been thinking about from your transition from the Embraer to the Airbus is Two, two major things. You now have auto throttles and you now have an aircraft that will fly vertical navigation for, you know, descents and arrivals and that kind of stuff, uh, <clears throat> which the, um, the Embraer did not have. Uh, pros and cons, what are, you, what are your thoughts there? Well, uh, let's talk about the auto throttles first. It's actually auto thrust. And, and I, That's you true. Know, You're right. Me, auto thrust. Yeah. And let's try to explain that real quickly. On, say on the Boeing. Uh, I was talking to my buddy about this on the on the seven five that he flies, is that it has auto thrust where the actual it'll move the the thrust levers back and forth, whereas on the Airbus and almost all Airbuses you just put it into a detent, uh, similar to let's see on a Hawker has the same thing some of the business jets and it will manage the speed for you in different modes of flight. So if you put into the computer that you're in the landing mode, then it will constantly reduce the power to hold a specific airspeed for that landing configuration. Uh, and I'm oversimplifying that, but it'll actually bring that power back so that you can slow down for the approach 
start putting your flaps out, your slats, your gear, that type of thing. So the the interesting thing about the the challenge to using auto thrust is the fact that there's there's a range where on the it's a thrust lever angle, and between the detent, which is the basically the auto thrust detent, and all the way back to idle, you can you can put it anywhere you want, but it's if you have the auto thrust on, it's going to do what it wants to do. In other words, it's going to do what's programmed to do. I should say, <coughs> excuse me. And if if you want to turn that auto thrust off, here comes the challenge. You have to make sure that that thrust lever angle matches the power setting that the auto thrust has commanded. Okay, the computer says I'm at a certain amount of power, but you're you're commanding a different power setting. When you turn it off, it's going to go to what you just set uh, at that thrust lever angle. So where could this be bad? Well, say actually it's commanding an idle, and you have the thrust levers all the way up, and you turn them off. Immediately, it's going to go full power, and you're going to be like, "What's it doing? You know, why is it doing that?" So you actually have there's a, a way to match. And you can look at it on the engine pressure ratio gauges and the, basically the engine instruments. You can match what the auto thrust is doing with the thrust lever angle. Then you turn it off. That's a biggie. That's, a, that's one of those things that, that really kind of confuses people. Uh, so there, there's a challenge. The vertical navigation, uh, the challenge there is, you know, <laughs> for me, is giving control to the airplane. Uh, you, you actively monitor it. But... Th- for instance, on a, on a climb, I, I let the aircraft manage the climb and the speeds and the altitude restrictions. So, for instance, they tell me to climb to 16,000, but climb via a, a departure, which means that I have to cross certain altitudes. When it crosses that altitude, say they tell me to climb via up to 16,000, and there's a crossing restriction at 8,000 at a certain fix. When I get to that fix, the plane will automatically level off at 8,000, hold 250 knots, so I cross that fix, then it'll start climbing again. And I I actually have to sit there, make sure that that the plane's gonna do what it says it's gonna do. So I have to really actively monitor that because you don't you never wanna in any automated airplane, it could be on a Cirrus with its autopilot, any airplane, you have to actively monitor what's going on with that airplane because you really can get detached very, very easily. And it can catch you on a descent, especially, you know, if you're getting too fast and you can't cross a certain fix at a certain airspeed that they want you to, then you have to you know, start putting in some drag devices. So that was, that was a big challenge there. The other challenge was realizing that a VOR approach for uh, this airplane is actually a precision type of approach where you can put that, even if it doesn't say VOR GPS, we can put that into the flight management computer, and it'll actually fly it like a, a glide slope and fly it all the way down. And uh, it's it. Those are the challenges of trying to retrain your mind that this is actually, this is a precision like approach, and and we can use it as such. So those are those are some of the challenges there. I hope I answered your question, Len. Uh, yeah, and actually you brought up another one because you're talking about how a VOR approach you can now do as a precision approach. And previously, on the Embraer, while we don't f- uh, don't put it in the computer as a precision approach. We do some mental math and some calculations and some adjusting of the uh, the MDA and then sort of calculate our own three-degree glide slope and fly that down. So um, you've done those on the line. Is it similar in theory and the computer's just figuring all that out for you in the Airbus? 
Yeah, it's 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 similar. It's just that it's following the vertical guidance down. It's pretty pretty neat. In other words, you can leave the autopilot on, right? And it'll it'll follow that guidance all the way down. Whereas other aircraft, uh, it wouldn't let you do that because remember the primary nav aid is that VOR, and you're not using that primary nav aid, which is it's kind of hard to get your my. It was tough for me to get my head wrapped around that. Is I'm using the actual computer or the inertial reference system to actually fly this approach as opposed to me planning. I, I'll put in a different decision height, say, but the actual computer will fly it down. It'll be, it's pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Pretty neat stuff. So there's uh, same thing with, with a lot of these. Uh, another thing, uh, just as a side, you've seen these RNP approaches, uh, required navigational performance approaches. Those are really, really cool. Because you can do a descent and a turn at the same time with certain restrictions, and you could fly an approach into an airport using a turn. But of course, it has to be a specific speed because they calculate a turning radius, and they and of course, when you're you're doing that turn, they don't want you going out of that that boundaries of that actual uh, that line that they've driven uh, you know drawn on the ground type of thing. But I've I've never done that. I mean, I thought that was pure magic. Uh, you know, it's it's quite amazing. Uh, so, I mean, what I I don't know if you've ever done that type of approach, land or seen anything like that. But I was just absolutely fascinated when it happened. No, not the RM. Well, I think I've seen them, but I'm not too familiar. Terribly familiar. With but it, it's basically a curved approach, and they've and it's it's really something that we're going to go towards more and more. Uh, in aviation because it saves also some gas too. It allows you, instead of being vectored all over the place, it allows you to actually take a, a nice little tight turn uh, into an airport, into an environment, and and kind of constantly descend along the way. It's, it's, it's really fascinating. So it's like a new age arc? Yes, it's an ILS. Uh, basically, it's like an, shooting an ILS. You have a decision height, and uh, you just come down on the curve and you roll out and there's your decision height. You yeah, but you're, say, you're saying curve as in like an, an old-fashioned DME arc. Like an arc, right. But it's uh, using – right, exactly. It's going to be a – it's going to be – it can be more than one curve. But yes, sure, it's sure. that arc. And uh, okay. yeah, it's just like that. But it's not off a of navigational aid. You know, it's, right. it's a turning radius right. as opposed to needing a navigational aid for that. But, but absolutely fascinating. I, I just – I don't know. I, I really have started to come to really like this airplane. I've oversimplified some of my explanations about some of the flight control issues. And, and hopefully, you know, it, there's, there's so deep that you can go really down to the bottom of the pool, you know, and, and, uh, and realize that there, there are some really amazing engineering that has gone into to producing this type of an aircraft. Sure. Just like this, like I said, I, I liken it to the Cirrus when I first got into it with all the automation and the auto like leveling and that type of thing. Um, I, I just, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to actually go fly the thing in real life right now. And, uh, I'll get an opportunity to do that on, on Sunday. But the other thing that I, I, now let's get back to actual flying and the fun, fun stuff. The thing that I really like about, uh, the Airbus is the fact that it's got really big windows. I mean, you get this incredible view of the world when you're sitting up front there. I've actually gotten to, to sit in the, the, the seat of an Airbus actually in flight before, not, you know, with this job, but it just is amazing the views that you get. And mm-hmm. honestly, you know, 
when it comes down to it, when you're flying out over some of these, you know, turquoise and incredibly blue green waters and, you know, these places in the Caribbean, that's what you want to do. You want to look outside the window. And uh, that's that was really one of my favorite things about it other than the automation. The cool thing is you can let the uh, the auto thrust and autopilot do its thing and you can kind of take a peek outside. It really it does increase your situational awareness because you can start looking outside more well, and you're just managing the airplane. You know that um, I've never told anybody this, but I do have 0.2 hours of PIC time logged in an Airbus when the captain went to go use the lav. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, have a seat, take a seat, eat my cheesecake, I'll be back in a few minutes. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I like this guy. <laughs> You know what the you know the funniest thing when I was I jump seat on the Airbus all the time and until I learned how to fly it, you ever try to figure out who's actually flying? Uh, you ever you know I, I always when I get in the airplane it's like you can't really tell who's flying a lot of times. Well, you just well, you I, just yeah okay. Just think about it. The the captain usually puts the hand on the thrust levers and then after rotation autopilot's on and you know you got a two three hour flight and you're like wait a minute who's who's actually flying this again? <laughs> And then I realize when we're landing with the person that takes their hand and puts it on the thrust and brings it to idle, oh, that's the person that's actually <laughs> flying it. It really, it, it's kind of freaky. It's like, oh, man, who's actually doing this? And uh, I finally figured out how I can tell who's actually flying the airplane uh, when, you're, when you're actually in an Airbus. That, that was my takeaway from the training. That <laughs> was it. it right there. there it is. That's it. Now that I'm in the jump seat, The I'll last two and a half months of takeaway is <laughs> now I know who's <laughs> actually flying. Who's actually flying the thing. <laughs> But really, they don't do much. You know, they both sit there, and they and you can, again, you can pull out that tray, and you you there's a tray right in front of you that retracts, and and you open it up, and you can put your computer on there if you're using a computer, or uh, for obviously for the aircraft and the performance and stuff like that, or your charts. You put your charts on there, and you know you can leave them on there too, all the way through the landing. You leave your charts there. That's what's cool to me is that because it's really it's super convenient to have uh, you know that plate right in front of you in a direct view because uh, the the aircraft that we're f that while well, in the Embraer it does have kind of a chart. I mean, it is a chart holder on the yoke, but it's it's really it doesn't hold the chart in a way that's useful. So it's usually off to my side, you know. So. There's times that I'm looking off to my side real quick to look at a piece of information. And I think that having that little tray there is super neat and super handy because it's just everything's right there in front of you. And uh, you can just glance down real quick and you get the side stick. I think that's you're probably going to enjoy having that table there. Oh, gosh, yeah. And, and not only that, you can put multiple charts in different places. There's different places to the side of you. Yeah, You can put, say, your taxi chart and your approach plate in front of you. So. You can look to the right and look at your taxi, or either you know, either or. So you can put multiple charts out there. And by the way, now that you know, hopefully I've gotten you a little bit excited about the Airbus. There's a lot of organizations out there that'll allow you to actually get in an Airbus and fly one. Obviously, you can get your type rating, uh, but uh, I don't have the websites in front of me. But maybe we'll make that the pick of the week next time. Okay. Uh, but it's it, you can get yourself in an, in an Airbus and or any of these airplanes and go fly an airliner and that is such a, a cool experience. As a matter of fact, a lot of airlines like the one I work for, they'll work with some local uh, schools and they'll bring people in and let them fly the aircraft. Uh, the neat thing about the company I work for, they actually will bring in your significant other and let that person fly the airplane uh, while you're going through some of the training. I think that's that's so cool. Carl, and they can actually see what you're doing. Did, did my invitation get lost? 
And, and, you know, actually, Len, I should have brought you in because, you know, my fiance actually didn't get to go fly it. She didn't. And, no. And I no. may I may want to come work with you anyway again. So Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. No way. Not again. Like, we dude, we got in so much trouble. Anyway, let's not go there. <laughs> that, that one that one Thanksgiving in that strange oh, place in Texas. <laughs> yeah. Oh, how about Canada? We forgot about that. Huh? I'd, oh, I didn't we forget. I just didn't yeah. say. Yeah. <laughs> now you let the cat out of the bag. Stuck Mike Avcast after dark. After dark. <laughs> yeah. Nobody was arrested, so that's all I can say. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but no, it's it's a it's been a lot of fun. It's been I I have to say just advice as far as getting a type rating or anything is just. Tell, just study what they tell you to study, no matter who you go to, what organization. I have a lot of friends that teach uh, in simulators. Is Really focus on what they tell you to study because you'll never know enough about the airplane when you leave. And you'll feel like you don't know enough about the airplane, no matter what training you go through. But just know enough to fly it and then keep studying it over the years. I'm sure, Len, you do that. You know, I do that. I'll pull out the manuals and look at a system every so often. Just just keep it, keep with it and, and keep trying to – to know your aircraft better, I, you know, whether it's a 172 or, you know, an Airbus or a Boeing, you know, you really should always try to get to know your aircraft better, no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what was my takeaway there. It's just, air, it's an airplane, just like anything else, you know? Mm-hmm. Cool. But loving the, loving the plane though, having fun with it. It's exciting to fly something new after 10 years of flying the same airplane. You know, it's, it's kind of neat to see something different and, uh, and new and exciting and, um, you know, I've, I've absolutely loved the process and, and the people I've worked with and, you know, been, been able, you know, just blessed to, to have so many really good instructors. And, you know, I like having multiple instructors because you get a different take on different things and you always learn something from everybody. Mm-hmm. And I've just spent six weeks, which I thought was pure, you know, it was tough. I mean, I think you described it very well, Len, uh, you know. <laughs> And what did you say? It's uh, uh it's like being dragged naked through barbed wire, I think. Something along those lines, yeah, right? I couldn't say it better than that. <laughs> it, it, it is, but you really appreciate it after the process because you, you just gosh, you, you realize that you've accomplished something, but also that you're now you have all this learning that you need to do and you now know what you don't know and you also make yourself real confident. And what, what you're doing, because you've done that, you've gone through this really rigorous type of training process, and, and you know that you can be safe in this aircraft. And, and that's good. That's a good feeling to have. Mm-hmm. But uh, So, Len, when you, I can't wait to see you and, uh, and come along and, and fly the Airbus. Sometime. Fly the Airbus, yeah. We'll see, you, know, you never know. Anything's possible. Anything yeah. is possible. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm doing a jump seat uh, familiarization ride uh, coming this weekend. And before they let us loose, they actually make us sit in the jump seat. That's another part of the training at the airlines is they'll make you observe, after all your training, observe a crew. Uh, hopefully I won't get them nervous, but observe a crew uh, doing their thing on a, on a turn, you know. And, uh, and we'll go down somewhere and then come back and, and uh, you know, ask all the questions you want, which I think is a great idea. It's a terrific idea. Really, after you're flying the plane, the rest of it's, you know, hey, where's the bathroom? Where's the Coke machine? And, uh you know, where do I find my paycheck? You know, it's, it's all that, you know, all those, all those little administrative details that, 
you, you, you'd realize they didn't really – it went over it somewhat. But now you're like, where do I go? Where do I find the gate? Where do I find my paperwork? Where do I find the captain? Where's the flight attendants? You know, all this kind of stuff. You know, it's all those things now that I'm, I'm going to have to go through the process of. And I'll give you an update as to what happens. Fun. Very fun. Yeah. But it's been a, been a blast. It's been a lot, a lot of fun. Made a lot of new friends. And there's some people with very varied backgrounds. And, you know, people from the military, we had fighter pilots, we had, you know, 135, KC-135, uh, C-130 pilots, C-17 pilots, and uh, a lot of, uh, you know, old airline pilots from other airlines, you know, from that just ran the gamut. And it was neat to, to, to work with some of these folks, and they all brought something to this, this whole process. Fun. So, any did I any other questions? I know I went on for quite some time. Yeah, and I, and I asked what I was curious about, but I'm not sure. You know, for uh, for Rick or Sean, if they have any questions, curiosity about the Airbus and or you know the entire process. Not really. No, that was a, that was a great you know summary of, of pretty much everything. I, I look forward to hearing more about it as you keep flying it. Yeah, and and Rick, do you have any questions? No, I mean you. I think you explained it really well. I was going to ask you, and you answered it, which is, <laughs> is it fun? If you like, you know, so if there's less flying, I think is what you said is mm-hmm. sort of true. The actual flying part, it's, it's a, <clears throat> you know, it's managing all the systems and, and keeping track of it. And there is a, there is a thing you're doing, but the actual flying, there's less of that, but it's still fun for you because you like that other stuff. Right? Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Rick, because one of the things that they, uh, especially at the airline I work for, they encourage is turning all that automation off especially on days where it's nice and clear out because you don't want to lose that tactile feel. So you, they, they do want you actually flying the airplane. Right. Is there and, a uh, um, approved – is that is that just your call? Uh, you yeah, flight, you basically – call. You both you go, yeah, this is a cool day to do it. Let's do it. Yes. There are instances where obviously you can't uh, yeah. in certain visibilities and obviously with auto land. Uh, which I didn't talk about, and that's pretty freaky. I mean, the first time I did an auto land, I just like, like wow. Uh, you know, I have the quarter of my eye, I see the runway, and all of a sudden we touch down. And uh, the plane breaks, it stops, it does everything for you. And then you turn the autopilot off after it almost comes to a stop. Well, auto land is not, not routine, or it is? No, or, we, we no. leave the, the system on to be able to auto land, uh, but it isn't. It the system's set up to do it. Like for instance, on an ILS, it's always we always configure for an auto land, uh, mm-hmm. even though we aren't going to do one. Uh, we're still configured that way. Mm-hmm. So if say we never turn the autopilot off, it could actually auto land itself. Now, in reality, there's there's a lot of other parameters that have to be in place. Like they have to protect the area around the ILS and the glide slope and the localized box and all that. All those things have to be protected. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we, we configure it for auto land, but no, that, the norm is to turn it off before you land and well right. before you land too. Just to yeah, get a, at what point? And a lot of guys will come through. It depends how busy the airspace is, but um, it's, it can be up to 10,000. A lot mm-hmm. of guys do up to 10,000 when they're taking off. And when they're landing, when they see things aren't as busy, then they'll turn it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you see the person next to you who's scrambling and there's lots of calls and they, they'll leave it on. So yeah. that's kind of, I think, true in most airlines. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. It really is. It's it's true there. But it is. It's a lot of fun. I mean, it's just, um, I, I think any, you know, honestly, I, I, it could have been any airplane. I think they're all a lot of fun, you know, when you're yeah. learning something new. You know, I, I'm sure, Rick, when you changed airplanes and, you know, it was, it was a blast to fly something yeah, new. Yeah, it was. So, there's a whole new feeling. It's great. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that whole process of going through these is uh, similar to anything else, you know, in, in your training. Yeah. But, uh, 
No, I think you did a great job of explaining it. It's exciting. And, you know, we, I think next time we'll want to hear about that first, uh, that first landing. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have yeah, to tell any details that would give away to the passengers later. Who, no, no. But you can just describe it, you know. And whether there or not there quite... was any screaming or any of that nonsense <laughs> <laughs> from the back or the front. I don't know. Maybe right. you were screaming too. <laughs> but, you know, they, I mean, we, we do a lot of crosswind landings in the simulator. So we've done some, you know, beyond the, the actual maximum crosswind component we'll do sometimes. And, and play with that, and it's 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 exciting. It's it's a lot of fun to mm-hmm. to try something with a, a fully automated aircraft and realize that it acts differently closer to the ground than than way up in the air. And it's uh, it's definitely a, a different feel for it. Uh, but you know, like I said, hopefully I'll I'll have some of those uh, maybe some of the links to some of those other other websites we can actually fly it. And hey, you can actually fly it on, on some of those flight simulators that people have. You know, some of the folks that listen, I'm sure they have those. They can actually go out and fly that. I know there is one. A uh, listener that, that actually uh, sent me a few messages on Facebook about it, and he was saying how he actually flew the Airbus on, on the flight simulator, and that was pretty cool. He beat pretty you neat. to it. Yeah, yeah, he did. And just, <laughs> but it, the, the other thing getting used to was just the mass of the thing. It's a lot bigger than I'm used to, so, and the fact that the engines don't spool up as quickly. And uh, I kind of caught myself in the beginning getting a little slow, and I brought the power up and said, uh-oh, where's the power? And there was none. And the only way you can get airspeed was point the nose down, and I was close mm-hmm. to the ground. I was like, oh, you know, I won't do that again. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so any other? Cool. Uh, any, yeah, yeah. I, I, hopefully, I'll, I'll take some pictures and and uh, bring some pictures back as in the cockpit and stuff, and yeah. maybe hopefully get get a tour. I know Rick, yeah. uh, you're close to somewhere we have like a. Um, some airplanes, so I yeah, we should I, I talk about it. that off offline. Yeah, so. yeah, let's do that sometime. Cool, that'd be great. Thrilled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful, oh, awesome, great for uh, great for sharing the story. You get to finally hear what you've been up to and why you've uh, been missing shows, and you know, yes, all the, I apologize. All for those that kinds too. of oh, things. Oh no, don't. I, I, you're doing I have not deal. answered emails. I haven't. You know, I've told the <laughs> listen. I I just you know eat, sleep, and study. That's all uh-huh. I've been doing for the past six weeks, and yeah. And I, I really, it, I, you know, as a matter of fact, I didn't pay my car payment. I forgot to pay my car payment. <laughs> and I got a phone call like last week and I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to repossess my car. They're going to oh, take your man. Prius. Yeah, yeah, I, exactly. I was very upset about that. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So, oh, wow. The Prius with the big A320 sticker on the back, that's yeah, me. That's, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. For all those people in uh, Western Florida, if you see it, you know who he is. Our Picks of the Week. At this point, we'll go ahead and move on over to our Picks of the Week. Let's hear from uh, Sean. Tell us about your Pick of the Week, Sean. Sure. Mine uh, kind of relates to what we were talking about earlier. Uh, if you if you miss Top Gun in 3D in theaters and you've got a 3D TV and 3D Blu-ray player, you can get it now on uh, on 3D Blu-ray. Um, so that's, you know, if, if, if you're one of those that is all about that stuff, you can go pick it up. And from what I understand, some of the extras are, are the same as what were on the DVD, which if you have, and you've looked to are actually pretty hilarious when it comes to the music videos. Um, I mean, there is nothing funnier than seeing, you know, mid eighties guitar solos, just, you know, tight. Yeah, tight jeans and and like <laughs> high heeled boots, and you have to look back and wonder, was that cool at, at some point? <laughs> was that desirable? Um, so it's it's really uh, really fun to watch. That's for sure. 
I'm taking some of my pictures off Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, if, you know, if some of you guys were in the 80s doing some of that stuff, I apologize in advance. I'm sorry. <laughs> Between those photos of Carl and the ones in the tutu, there's a lot of strange right. things he's had to take offline. <laughs> oh, the Tierra thing. Oh, the Tierra, oh. the Tierra, not the tutu. Well, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe there's a tutu. But anyway, nevertheless, I digress. Um, <laughs> Rick, tell us about your pick of the week. Yeah, last uh, last show I mentioned that I had sort of stumbled into a series of weather app discoveries, and uh, there was one one more that I wanted to mention. And it's um it's it's actually a suite of products. So I'll just touch on them quickly. One, it's the 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 key name in all these is seasonality, um, and it's uh, two things right now: seasonality core, which is a, a Mac OS app, and then the iPad version is seasonality Go. Um, so it's core and go, and then there's going to be a pro one, and I don't know what the difference that's going to be. And basically, this is a weather app that's a that's a, a multi-paneled aggregate of um, a lot of weather information um, taken from the National Weather Service, a number of sources. Um, it's it's the reason I discovered it is we talked last time about the app that uh, has the little has the weather pattern dots on it flying by. This has that built into it, but a whole lot more, all the other data you would want. So, you know, and I'm not going to outline it, but, and you can configure the screens however you want on the pad and on the, on the, on the Mac. Um, and so it's, it's just a very nice aggregate kind of weather look. It's not in depth. It's not, you know, detailed aviation weather, but, um, it's a pretty nice, uh, summary. So if you go to, uh, uh, getseasonality.com, we'll put a link in the show notes. Um, it, uh, it'll show you, there's a video, you can watch the Mac version, watch the iPad version and, and see if it works for you. Um, but so I had to mention that because I touched on it last week. The other thing I wanted to touch on, uh, mention is I don't know um, how many people uh, in uh, our listening audience have upgraded to uh, an iPhone 5. But in uh, doing so, I, basically, I've always had a portable battery available just for any of any of these phones so that if I'm out, you know, going to be out of the office or away from power for an extended period, I want to be able to juice the thing up. And uh, Mophie is a great product that I've had for years with various iterations of the iPhone, which was in one form factor for a while. And then they changed with the iPhone 5. And it has taken Mophie a while to get their portable iPhone 5 uh, battery pack case out. Um, and now it is now available. And it is um, the Mophie Juice Pack Helium. It's for the iPhone 5. Um, I got an email because I've been buying them. And so they let people that sort of are on their mailing list, have an option to, to order it. Um, and so I have one and it, uh, just, to, just to say it'll be available. It's pre-order now. And one of the colors that's available is available, um, March 15th. And, you know, I highly recommend it. It's a fascinating thing that they had to do because they had to change the pin connector because Apple changed that. And I think that was one part of the trickiness. The also, the other thing that I think was probably surprisingly even more so was the fact that Apple moved the headset, uh, placement to the bottom, which is where, Mophie puts the guts of the battery um, for weight reasons, I'm sure. And so, uh, so I will say that as you unbox this, you get a, you get the USB charging cable um, and the, the the pack itself, but you also get a um, headset extender um, to to reach through the pack to reach the phone's jack for some plugs, like the the Bose headset plugs are, are bent and they won't fit all the way into into that to the Mophie. That's sort of an unfortunate thing, I think. But they probably worked on it, and that's what delayed this product for a while. So, um, but other than that, I mean, I I think they make a great product, and it it doubles the battery life if you need it, and uh, 
and it's a great case too. So I'd I'd recommend it. take a look at that. If any any a number of different devices you have, take a look at Mophie because I think they do a good job. Yeah. And Len, I think you've had them off and on for. Uh, I yeah, I I tried one, um, and not for other than the fact that it was just too bulky for what I was yeah. trying to use it for. Uh, one of the, but I obviously I ordered. I think it was when I had the iPhone 4S and I ordered the extra, like the extra large juice one. And so it was just a little too big for what I was trying to use it for. But uh, yeah. in, aside from that, the uh, slimmer ones and their products in general are very good. I, and I tend to keep mine in a pocket in a bag I have with me if I'm flying or wherever. And so I have the option to juice the thing up, but right. I don't have to carry it in right. it. So, but it, it's a nice product. And anyway, that's now available. So I wanted to mention it. Oh, great. I wanted to share a... Um, Another audio cable, um, uh, just recently a listener emailed me and asked how I was uh, recording air traffic control audio from the aircraft into my GoPro. Uh, and we put out a little video description on how I was doing that and the product involved there. There's a, uh, what I believe is to be one or two of the only uh, design out there. And this is an aircraft audio recording cable for your iPhone. Okay, so you can record air traffic control on your iPhone. Why this cable is different from the other cable? Because the other cables don't have um, the proper connection for an iPhone. So if you, it'll plug into your iPhone because it's the right size. It's three and a half oh. millimeter, but it's not properly banded. There's specific. The iPhone is a four-pin um, connector. Normal headset or uh, normal connectors are usually either two or three. So oh. this audio cable is uh, specifically designed to be used with the iPhone. It has the four-pin connector. You plug it into your iPhone um, headset, and you can use any, you know, whatever, any uh, software, any app, any recording suite that you normally use on your iPhone or your iPad or your iPod Touch. And uh, like most of the aircraft audio cables that we've ever talked about or shared in the past, it connects directly to the aircraft intercom. You connect your headset and your microphone through this cable, and it basically, um, you know, it has a lead out, a lead out wire that plugs the three and a half millimeter that now plugs into your iPhone versus into your camera, and you can record the audio. Now, some individuals are using it because they're record they're using their iPhone uh, for recording audio and video. Some just wanted to record the audio alone, and they weren't using cameras. So now. Um, this cable is available through our friends at Crazed Pilot. The link is stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash iPhone cable. We'll have that in the show notes. It's also on the blog. Check it out if you're looking for one of these cables. It's, uh, like I said, it's about only one. Uh, the only one uh, that I know is in existence. There's like one or two in existence. This is uh, one that I I know of. I've spoken with the guys over at Crazed Pilot. Um and uh, they say a lot of good things about itself. So that's what you're cool. looking for. That's the purpose. Check out this cable. I uh, stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash iPhone cable. Um, so yeah, let's see. I think we have uh, Carl is the only one we hadn't got to. Your pick of the week, sir. Um, my pick of the week is actually something really low tech since I've been talking about high tech lately. The uh, AOPA has an ID wallet that has a ramp pass insert which is really cool I've had this for years and I highly suggest it and the reason I'm bringing it up is because in the past few weeks all I've been doing is taking out my ID and showing my medical and my pilot certificate but I've also had to show some form of government ID and it has room for your your pilot certificate your driver's license and there's a slot for your medical now this wallet is I just found out is not available online yet, 
on AOPA's website, but it's coming soon. It used to be available on another website, but now uh, AOPA is actually going to be selling that at their AOPA store. So it's going to be the AOPA ID, AOPA ID wallet with a ramp pass insert. It's awesome. I mean, I, I've been using it for years. Like when I'm jump seating and they ask for my pilot certificate and medical, I just pull this little insert out of my wallet and I give it to them. Has anybody else used it? Have you guys? Do you guys have this same wallet or no? I do not, but I think uh, I think I remember you talking about it and we laughed. We I think we were teasing you on one of the previous episodes because uh, yes, something about something didn't something didn't stick to it or I don't remember exactly <laughs> oh, what it was. Yeah, that's uh, right. Well, there is one challenge is that you know when you put your medical in there, it's actually this little see through thing. But if you get it gets real hot and sweaty or whatever, it sticks to the to the plastic that you can see through to see your medical. So what I do is I actually take one of my a piece of paper, put it in front of there, or I take an old medical and leave it in there. So actually, and you have to pull out your medical and your ID anyway. It just gives you a spot where you can have it all in one place. Sure. So you take this little insert out and you put it back into your wallet. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. After sweating so much and stuff like that, yeah, it's it's uh, it sticks to the side there. But yeah, it's it's gonna be available. They say pretty soon on uh, AOPA's website. So look for their new store. I wonder if we can get an update from AOPA. We'll have to give them, we'll give them a call and find out. Hey, give me a uh, give me a shout out. See what they can tell you. And that is that is it. That's my uh, pick of the week there. And that is it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the after landing checklist. Okay, let's get uh, let's hear from Sean. Sean, tell the uh, tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you, sir. Sure, uh, you can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Aviation. That's A V I A S E A N. Okay, Carl. And the best way to reach me is at my blog, expertaviator.com. Wonderful, Carl. Carl? That was I Carl. mean, <laughs> okay. Carl, one more time. Carl. One more time, expert. The other, the other, the other Carl. The other Carl. Uh, Rick. Hi. Rick, hello. Yeah. Hello. Um, <laughs> I was going to try to make up another Twitter handle from now. Uh, R Felty on Twitter, R D Felty on YouTube, and RotationSpeed.com. That's great. And uh, you can find me on. Oh my gosh, I forgot. Did I forget my announcement at the beginning of the show? Uh, which one? I think I did. I didn't mention. Well, I'll say it now. I didn't mention that I'm going to be down in Australia in the month of March, at the end of March, oh. from uh, about the 16th, uh, for about almost two weeks. If we've got any listeners down in the uh, Australia area, please do get in touch with me. Now that I'm thinking of it, which is why it came to mind, uh, you can reach out to me on Twitter. Uh, get in touch with me there, at Len Costa. Let me know where you're at. Let me know uh, where you're listening from. I would like to have an opportunity to you know, get together with some folks while I'm down there. I'm going to be hanging out in Melbourne for a little while with the boys from Playing Crazy Down Under, Grant and Steve. And the whole gang there. We may even be recording a episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast from oh, down under. We should. Under. We should. Yes. We should. Yes. There's. Some, we have to. It's in fact, I got to talk about uh, talk to you guys about that offline. But uh, mm-hmm. please do get in touch with me. I would love to meet up with anybody, any of our listeners, or any of our friends, even that we have down in that area. So at Len Costa is how you can get in touch with me. We are Stuck Mike Avcast on Twitter and Facebook. Also StuckMikeAvcast.com. You've been listening to episode number 43 of the Stuck Mike Avcast, and thank you all for joining us today. We wish you all clear skies and calm winds. Take care, everybody.
You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Avcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Avcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast brought to you by thepilotreport.com, a Len Costa Production.